This podcast is protected under the laws of the United States and other countries. Unauthorized duplication, distribution, or exhibition may result in civil liability, criminal prosecution, and the wrath of the tall man. <laughs> Boy! Thank you for checking out 90forchill.com, the podcast. This is your host, Cat Bus Russ, and if you've been listening on the Podbean feed for the past three years, thank you very much for your patronage. I'm just going to say Podbean's a great service uh, for those intense podcast editors like, you know, myself. I have a multimedia background, at least from college, so I loved kind of the tools. It's just a very pricey platform, and there are better options, at least more affordable options. So 90 for Chill, the podcast, I'm sorry, 90forchill.com, the podcast, has changed to 90 for Chill, the podcast with Cat Bus Russ. It can still be found at 90forchill.com. If you want your Google Nest or Amazon Echo device to find the podcast, ask your device to play podcast by Cat Bus Russ, and that should get you here. This feed's going to stay up for at least the next year. Podbean does offer an affordable archiving system. Something to consider if you want to get on this platform. All I can really say is that I'm not wasn't a fan of how tricky it can be to get it set up. I mean, I'm an, as I say, I have a background in it, so it wasn't too hard once I started putting the clues together. But it's not very intuitive. They've uh, been very good to me. Besides, for sending me Ben Shapiro ads, I can't say that. They are a bad platform to be on. More affordable would definitely be Spotify for podcasters, and that's where you will find 90 for Chill, the podcast with Cat Bus Russ, and that's where all the new content will be. I'm just going to finish up the remainder of the paid period with some new episodes here, but otherwise, look for 90 for Chill, the podcast with Cat Bus Russ at 90forchill.com. Thank you. Number one phenomenon. I created a sport that you could thrive in, and three players rule the game. It was only a matter of time before one of these creeps realized that their tape would go up as soon as they got a little blood on the track. Now, the world's most dangerous game. Have you thought about the girl? People disappear all the time. Will become deadly. And the only chance they have... What's it gonna be, us or them? ...is to fight back. Get out of the car! Deal with this on the track ourselves. This may be getting out of hand. Maybe we should cool the whole thing off. No. Rollerball. Little Hand says it's time to rock and roll. Bring the noise.
Thanks for checking out 90 for Chill, the podcast with Cat Bus Russ. This is your host, Cat Bus Russ. If you want to find out what might be on upcoming episodes, you can follow me on Letterboxd. The username there is CMDarth, that's C as in cool, M as in movies, Darth as in a Sith Lord. And to start things off, I really am just anticipating the next episode of How Did This Get Made, the podcast with... Paul Shear, Jason Manzukis, and June Diane Raphael. It's going to be Rollerball 2002. Now, I almost watched this a couple, well, about last month, I think, or so, something like that. And then it was like, I see the clip, the preview clip, I think that was on Pluto TV. It wasn't a preview, just a clip. And it just looked like. Okay, they're going to do a movie about roller derby on a soundstage. So, yes, the action of the game, except for some cool shots in the final match, which, Blinken, you miss them, is absolutely unwatchable. And then you have the fact that it's like, I know you got Paul Heyman um, doing the commentary for the games, and he's good in it. But I don't need the Kevin Dunn direction style of jump cutting and such. So it's not a WWE movie. It's actually Toho money um, on the other end of it. So MGM wouldn't take a total uh, bath on this uh, remake of the 1975 classic with James Caan, which is a statement about... It's honestly, this movie is a flips it. It's a statement about um, individuality and um, and how that's not approved. It was basically a capitalist message in a sense. The original feature, like, well, I mean, the rich run everything. So not really, but they have to prove that the worker is no greater than any other worker. This movie um, is about a new sport being played in Central Asia. I think Mongolia, Azerbaijan, uh, Kazakhstan. So they should have worked Borat in. Um, And how Jean Renault is trying to, who's playing a Russian with a French accent, who's trying to create this basically the new sport for cable TV and to assure that he's allowing violent acts to happen on this hybrid of roller derby Um, basically you go around the figure 8 track throw a ball into the uh, an iron ball into the uh, plate that'll turn on the pyro meaning you scored a point original movie it's just roller derby with motorcycles motorcycles are still in this one and yeah throw the ball in there so that kind of sums it up and chris klein's down on his luck hockey player in the states he's recruited by his best friend played by ll cool j to head over there and use his talents so there's a pointless opening sequence which yeah really just didn't look didn't have didn't look stylish in any sense of street losing in san francisco i'm not saying some of the stunts were co- weren't cool but again 
the cuts and such. And this is John McTiernan, the man who gave us Die Hard and The Predator. I'm sorry, and Predator, not The Predator, which I have a soft spot for. Allie kind of liked it when we watched it. So, yeah, this is just a real comedy of errors, if anything. Honestly, I'll say the soundtrack might be the best, though, I've heard from the early 2000s. I mean, the Resident Evil soundtrack's probably the best rock soundtrack of 2002. But hey, these guys got Slipknot, and honestly, my favorite Rob Zombie stuff. Uh, Only downfall uh, is P.O.D.'s Boom. Um, So... That's a good thing. Um, I I like some experimental stuff. Like you have a chase scene done in total, which makes no sense. This is like back going back and me complaining about um, the musical numbers in Gold Diggers of 1933. Like, no, this is supposed to be a play. Why are we expanding it? And no, you... You can't shoot stuff like that. It makes no sense. Has no place in this film. So yeah, um, why are we shooting something completely in night vision? Like, eh, we can't see things. So, no, it doesn't make any sense. Just a cheap way of not, not shooting. Uh, I don't know how you could do it. So maybe I should be impressed. So. Some good ideas. I uh, is again Paul Heyman's great as the commentator. Uh, logic is totally off because, of course, and it's been pointed out in many reviews that ratings suddenly spike when a violent act happens. And no, that's not how it would work. It would go to the next game. People would tune in for that. ESPN would love this shit. So that's um. So it's just silly plot ideas like that and then you get the entire revolution element to it in the end i mean i'm really disappointed like i'm not saying i was a fan of we own the night uh a joaquin phoenix uh my mark Wahlberg joint um just i i saw that one just because my ex-girlfriend and her twin sister have a theme for joaquin um I mean, it's, it's a, it could have probably been better, but it's not bad. Um, but the thing is that movie has Oleg Tektarov in it. One of my favorite UFC fighters, mixed martial artist. Um, and he's usually great in everything. He, I think he's great in everything. Great in, great in predators. Um, but this is the first bad one, I guess, uh, that I've seen him in. It's kind of disappointed like that. So there's a lot of good ideas which just get wasted, and it doesn't understand the original film. It's This is essentially a movie that focuses on the sport and not the politics around it. And they try to make up for it with... Chris Klein catching on that Jean Reno is rigging the game, rigging the games for um, horrific events to occur to get ratings again. Um, but aside from a chase scene trying to get out of the country, um, just doesn't uh, doesn't understand the subtlety of politics, which is something brilliant about rollerball the movie that was the first date of my parents so 
I guess I'm further offended uh, at Rollerball 2002 because, hey, I'm the product of Rollerball 75, which is a must-see feature. Uh, the best fictional sports movie, I think you'll, I mean, the best movie about a fictional sport, I think you can find. So, yeah, it's just, um, but at least I know that they just had, they were just trying to do stuff on the cheap by the end of it. Like, Chris Klein's not expensive. I mean, I do appreciate this film did better with the nudity. This is PG-13, but they've got at least four or five different sets of boobs out there. And, I mean, you can pretty much see of all almost all of Rebecca Romaine's Stamos at the time. I guess it's just Rebecca Romaine or Rebecca Romaine O'Connell. But um, one of my favorite swimsuit models, so damn. Uh... <laughs> So it just kind of makes me further disappointed. Like, she's going to go and give it all out for this movie. And, yeah, fails to deliver. So um, I, I really hope to listen to how, see how How Did This make, Get Made takes on, take, take on this. How fun that'll be. Because I mean, it's just a bad movie to begin with. How Did This Get Made? Yeah, it was just extreme sports fad. So, well, you know, I'm going to need to think back. I mean, I really, if I had the time, and I had a lot of car issues this week, and uh, I really wanted to get it, and, you know, I stuck around. Like, I probably could have done a movie Sunday, but I had to stick around and see if the Bills uh, play. So, no time to catch The Beekeeper, but I have another Jason Statham movie, and I've heard great things about The Beekeeper. But I've got a Jason Statham movie, which is nice, subtle crime action feature uh, that I'd like to chat about. And it also starts with a B. Let me just put it this way. It's Jason Statham versus Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. I think that sells itself. And a lot of cameos from... Well, a lot of roles from people you, you wouldn't think would be in an action... Well a gritty crime drama cop jason statham movie like come on so we'll get to that and after that i'm gonna do my best to clean up a uh, conversation with the poetic critic about um just some observations i had and it's gonna get into me suddenly like martin scorsese is great but i kind of like I don't think you should be picking a fight with Marvel just because, I mean, it really makes me question, am I not a cinematic nihilist? So I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I got to clean up the static on that. I didn't have my uh, Zoom H1N1. I think it might just be an H1N. I hope it's not the freaking swine flu, I think. I don't care. I don't know. Asian companies. Uh, so, yeah, I'll put that conversation on there. And then I might have a treat even after that. If you call a bad movie a treat. If you want to listen to it, that'll be after the the conversation with the Poetic Critic. Where we're going to definitely talk about Wish and marketing and merchandising. Kind of appropriate that the last bonus episode was the Spaceball one.
So hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Thanks for checking it out. And, you know, before I go, uh, let me just get it out of the way. If you want to be on 90 for Chill, the podcast, send an email to rustthebus07 at gmail.com. That's R-U-S-S-T-H-E-B-U-S-0-7 at gmail.com. Offer me a movie, a theme, a director, an actor. Try to focus on sub-100 minute material, but if you're willing to put the time in, I'm willing to do anything. Talk about anything. Um, Cash would be necessary for the do anything. Um, So I guess it just said, eh, open the negotiations. Uh, Also, um, you know, with all this chaos, thanks, Stacia Harden, for keeping an eye on me and making sure I was able to stay out of trouble. You know, safely got home from a... uh, from the ice storms in central Illinois and still made it to work. And then they tell me, yeah, we're not going to stay open as long as we want or I want. I mean, if I'm there, I want all my money. Um, and you know, I hope Skimble Shanks, the one eared angel is keeping you amused and just keep looking after everybody that you touched in your life station. So, uh, rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast apps. Follow me on Twitter at CatBusRuss. I prefer you follow me on Mastodon. That's at RussStevens at Mastodon.social. And thanks for checking out 90 for Chill, the podcast. A serial killer on the loose. Yo there, copper. Every day, another officer down. When the law can't protect its own. You need the man who breaks all the rules. She get a look at the attacker? All she could say for sure is that he's big and white. Big and white. So he's not the black kid from different strokes. We've got him. I want a lawyer and a sandwich. Oh. And I want to update my Facebook status. He's covered his tracks. We can't prove anything. So spill. Ain't you going to take any notes? I look like I'd carry a pencil. Jason Statham. <laughs> Patty Considine. Aiden Gillen. Picking the wrong fight. At least pick the right weapon. Blitz. And I've just concluded watching the movie Blitz from 2011, starring Jason Statham, Patty Cosnadine, and a villain is in uh, Aiden Gillen, best known as Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. And. Uh, he's an Irishman, and you never really get to see him do the accent. Funny, because Jason Statham keeps boasting about his Irish heritage in this feature. So, in other words, if you think uh, Littlefinger's accent was kind of all over the place, eh, it's kind of the same here. Uh, but you can't really beat him as a villain. He just looks very uh, wiry and slimy, but... I digress. So, 
Jason Statham is a cop who's getting a lot of bad press because, you know, one, unfair coverage. He beats up three guys who are trying to steal his car. Okay. Who had night box cutters? So, not a total, uh, you know, all cops are bad type attitude feature. It's so kind of the opposite of Spiral, which has been a recent movie I saw. But Aiden Gillian is trying to get vengeance on the police, and he's doing the best to get the press on his side about it, despite these are very cold-blooded murders, you know. Take, take a hammer to one of England's prized actors, and you're not going to win any fans in the audience. But, so it's a pretty straightforward procedural, a clever enough twist at the end, Jason Statham being cool and calculated Jason Statham, so, and not trying to be overly clever, at least with his character, so it's enjoyable there. You know, I just love English crime drama just because we don't have all this gunplay, so I'm partial to it. I think it might be worth some time. Hello there. This is Maddie for Joe the Podcast with Cat Bus Russ. This is, of course, your host, Cat Bus Russ, and I've just got a few little questions for the poetic critic. So I got an email today from Target, you know, the weekly. Yeah, the ad. sales circular. Right. And big old page for Wish merchandise. And then I was at Walmart waiting to get my tire repaired or replaced. And... Big old wish merchandise. Yes. I think I, again, told you so. Disney's gonna make it make all the money on the back end when the kids finally start watching the movie at home. Yeah, but I don't. I don't know. They've already tried discounting this stuff a few times. Right. It's not discounted right now. I think they finally realized. No, I don't. Part of it is they keep kicking the can down the road. Oh, yeah. They're only bringing out the digital purchase this Tuesday. Right. They're not doing physical media copies until March. Yeah. And there's no streaming date announced for Disney+. Plus. Well, okay, one. Now, that that presumably would be when the back end might kick in, if people latch onto it the way they did in Contour a few years back. And I... But that seems an awfully long time to have this stuff shelf-worn in. Well, it's a gamble, but you're going to have kids ask their mommy, and then you're going to have really annoying kids ask their mommy, and boom, it pays well, off. It didn't happen with Strange World. Uh, Strange but... World was not exactly what we expected from what I think parents expected from Disney. Well, no. Nor I... did the children. They didn't think about the children for, well, somebody think about the children um so i there, there wasn't much of a merchandising push for that anyway right no i good. think they i think they writ throat they knew what 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 art had you know yeah. uh yeah this is kind of artsy i'm just going off the screen drafts disney animation studio drafts where it did finish in the top 26 Kids like kids got it once they get once they got it, but it's not something. Yeah, it was a it was a stupid idea for Disney, kind of like Atlantis was a stupid idea for Disney. Well, and Treasure Planet. It's just it's just Richie, my friend, has pointed pointed out 
or others, there is simply no audience for Disney animation with adolescent boys. Oh. That, that is just not a market. Yeah. That's the only market something like this could potentially appeal to, and they do not have, but adolescent boys of today do not have any interest in 1930s through 50s sci-fi aesthetics. Yeah. Which is what all these movies keep working off. Right, so, hey, I mean, I don't know who's doing the green lighting, and I'm not saying they're bad movies. I liked Atlantis well enough. Treasure Planet is rather charming, and um, yeah, i got to get around to Strange World myself. So, But with what the back end is going to be on Wish, I just don't think Disney should have let this stuff shelf warm as long as it did. Encanto had the 45-day release date number, so it dropped on Disney Plus Christmas Day. Mm -hmm. And people were at home at the time, and that really helped draw some eyeballs. But with Wish, they've just kicked this, keep kicking this can down the road. Because I don't, because it is the it's streaming when this is going, it's not going to kick in until streaming. Yes, but as I say, I know children. I work in retail. Thank God. That's almost making me say, well, thank gods we're not selling DVDs at my place anymore. You can still get pretty good discounts on Best Buy exclusives, but I do think uh, at least that that store that is going to quit selling DVDs, wink, wink, um... You can still get Best Buy exclusives at rather decent prices. I bought the Super Mario Brothers Steelbook for 4K for 20 bucks, when the regular one is still like 27 or so. Because those are probably going to get shipped back to the supplier. That, so that's how it's working right there. If anybody needs some inside details, I also know a lot about booze. So, um, uh, one thing I did see today, and it's not really movie related, or is it? Is Goldblum doing a Super Bowl commercial? Well, it wouldn't be the first time. Well, I can't really. Well, I haven't watched the Super Bowl in a long time. He did a, a Jeep themed ad back in 20, um, 2018. Yeah, it was 2018 oh, that's, because that's... that was when Jurassic Park turned 25 and they did an ad themed to that. Okay. Which is weird. Is it, I think they were they Jeeps in the movie? I think they were Fords. Yeah, I think it was a yeah. might have been a Ford. I can't remember offhand. Yeah, so... <laughs> um, but, but, yeah. But, but he uh, did that five years ago. Right. And he did, before, and before that, he'd done a Super Bowl commercial as part of the long-running um, Apartments.com. That's what I think it, think it is. I saw the teaser. Yeah. So he's doing another one. That's he, not unusual. Well, it's, it's still... I don't know. It's it's almost an event for ninety for chill the podcast, wouldn't you say? I suppose I haven't heard much about any it, Super it, Bowl ads. Just far well, it, it looks like well, maybe a plant too big or something as they're prepping for like aliens, I guess. Um, aliens? What? Yeah, no, the commercial. It's for it's a bell copyright bellflower yeah. <laughs> production. So I know it's at apartments dot com. Yeah. But it's like a bunch, they're all looking up, they got all flashlights looking up, and mm -hmm. Jeff doing his gold flemish. 
I did see a funny meme, um, one that you probably wouldn't get because you're not into new metal. Not to say that I am, though I did like the Deftones. It was an image where they face-swapped all the members of the Deftones with uh, Jeff Goldblum, hence you have the Deftones. Mm-hmm. And they did put a little lyric from the uh, song Change. Uh, I watched you, uh, yeah, watched you change to a fly. <laughs> so, um... So yeah, I guess the other big thing right now in the media, at least to us nerds, is after midnight, if you understand my humor at all, I don't know, I don't know what to think about it. One, an hour is too much time. Russ, you should at least explain what after midnight is. Well, I mean... After midnight is has this... been in works for a while, but this is... A revival of sorts of the Comedy Central show at midnight, which was a bit of a fixture for them in the new tens, uh, an American version of the British panel show format where three comedians or miscellaneous performers, but they were usually comics, come on to riff on internet happenings of the day. Yes. The original, this new version of the series is for CBS and has replaced the old post late. Late show slot. The James, James Corden used yeah. to fill. Yeah. It premiered this past week. Right. So I only saw the most recent episode because yeah. I have uh, Paramount Plus. Mm-hmm. So you, I think I programmed that into your Samsung so you could catch up on it, catch up at any time. And I did like the uh, latest South Park special on there. <laughs> Where up? Uh, Randy Marsh starts an OnlyFans page after being inspired by the art teacher at the school doing that. Ten, an extra $10,000 a week. And he's trying to do it as an influencer instead of like a cam girl. And, but he does have his willy out the entire time. And it gets real, real weird when he starts competing against, uh, well, when Sharon decides to try to make him stop by competing. No! What do you want with your influence? I want to beat my wife. Okay. Um, yeah, so after Midnight, the episode I saw, you had uh, James Davis, um, some guy from the show Neighbors, who's definitely not meant for this kind of format, and uh, a loudmouth uh, podcaster. Um, so... It, it, it didn't really click, I think. And as I say, and then after you see one guy struggling and you find it's an, supposed to fill an hour time slot, uh, just doesn't run as smooth as at midnight. Well, it's only a few days old. It is a, di- it is a broadcast service, and there was a pretty good review of the first episode or two over at Vulture that points out the Internet has changed quite a bit since the camp. The original show was canceled. Twitter is basically unusable at this point. Um, yeah, and, the internet get, and social media gets more and more splintered. There's still plenty of the standard outlets they're going to use for the show, oh, no. stuff like the hashtag wars. But, it, but yes, uh, an hour time slot does take a bit more time to fill. And at this point, I think that is throwing off the pacing. But on the other hand, a lot of it's going to depend on who they bring in this panel. Right. Oh, no. I saw a clip from the Paul F. Tompkins. Right. No, that's, that's a second. And, he, and so, of course, he's 
you know, he comes out swinging. Yeah, it's, that was the second episode. Yeah. The first episode had Whitney Cummings, mm -hmm. who was another standby of the original yeah. show. And I think Kurt Braunett. So, yeah, they had a great lineup to start. And then it's like, oh, yeah, we have to do a talk show set, essentially do a talk show segment. Mm -hmm. Where they, it was kind of cute, but um, I don't know, the host doesn't quite have the aggression of Chris Hardwick, if I say. Well, yeah, but as Walter said, it's nice that nobody's just shouting points all the time anymore either. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's you don't really, sound. but I, I don't hear anything essentially. It's like, all right, the buzzer sounds the same as the point sound, so yeah, I think it just needs, it's it's a work in progress, which is I mean, kind of like, I'm you've been working on it. do some ex experimenting with Late Night at this point, because it is starting to feel like a form that's on its way out. Well, we haven't had, we. it's been a format that streaming hasn't figured out figured out how to crack. It's oh no, you could ask. Dom you know, they, there's never been, they've never quite had a breakout, aside from Arsenio Hall, and that was quite some time ago, who wasn't a straight white guy. Right. And it just looks a little, it's just stale at this point. Well, you did have Trevor Noah. I think The Daily Show really kind of thrived with his, uh, his uh, outlook, especially as he well, pointed out, we had our well first. The ratings to go. Well, I mean, I mean, that show's kind of... No, The Daily Show now, right. without Trevor Noah, is, like, dependent on the host. I think mm -hmm. Charlemagne the God should be the permanent host if they weren't going to give it to Roy Wood Jr. Um, so it's just... It, you, we just don't know what you're going to get right now at The Daily Show. They really need to buckle that down. Mm -hmm. um, again, Paramount Plus, though, you get to see all these cool things. And I'm glad The Daily Show's at least gone back to a half hour since they don't have the presence of Trevor Noah to carry that extra 15 minutes like it was doing during the pandemic. Mm. So, yeah. Um, no, otherwise, all I really got movie-wise is uh, how did this get made? They can't wait for the beekeeper to become more available. And it's getting, de I mean, it's not doing bad poorly. Uh, at least it's doing better than uh, Expendables 4. Which essentially is the same thing, because it's like, yeah, why do we need the other people? Let's just make it Jason Statham. So the only thing I'm worried about is it has a script written by Kurt Wimmer, who I think had some decent scripts, but I also know he did um, Equilibrium and Ultraviolet. Now, those weren't his scripts. This is the David Iyer movie, so it's kind of like, this is going to be our redemption for the Suicide Squad. Um, with that said, though, Honest Trailers does a lot to sell people on movies. Like, I want to see this. I'm not going to pay, pay the... Uh, like, I would have paid, if I had the time, I would have gone to a theater for the one or two weeks it was around, but I'm not going to pay, subscribe to Netflix to see Rebel Moon. Right. Well, I, but that just goes back to there really hasn't been a lot coming out lately. I think there... Mean Girls... The yeah, music, mean Girls is doing okay. Is, it a, is this a musical, this yeah. new version? Yes. Okay, I didn't know, because I've seen, like, 
Because didn't they already do a musical adaptation? And it's yes, just, it's okay. recursive adaptation. Okay, that's that's all I'm. Sorry, I had. That's one of those in my collection I have not watched. But this, there's there's just not a churn, and I think going back to you're talking about how it's just a matter of waiting for people to discover Wish. I I think it. It's shelf-warming as it is because it's not like anything's coming along to replace it. Like, we don't have any major animated features coming out this spring. Well, Migration is holding up pretty well. It did okay. Well, it's still in the top five. Yeah, but again, that's mainly because there's not a lot of other options. But I'm um, just saying, like, if it's doing okay compared to Wish, that means it's doing better. So I think it... Might a lot of things it. are doing better than Wish. Dad. No, but I'm just saying I think it might have some legs underneath it. Uh, same thing with Wonka, I think is what, number three or number uh, four? Wonka is a genuine success story, a movie that people genuinely like, mm. which is something that between Wish and Migration, these are just not movies that, like, what, what their audience is... Uh, as B, the B.O.O. Boys podcast puts it, the rats got to have their cheese. Parents have got to take their, lo- their real little ones to see something. And that's about all that, that's coming out for these movies. They're not coming out because they're getting good reviews or because they got good word of mouth or because pe- people were excited for them. It's, it's more like an obligation than anything. Uh, I don't see it that way. Again, I work in retail. And there's too many crying kids. Movie theater, two blocks away. I'm not gonna call DCFS on you. <laughs> Hell, I'll give you. Great. I'm gonna have to go and get AMC. The, the, the parents take their crying kids to go to those movies, but that's the only market they have. But what I'm saying is, drop them off at the theater. I'll go and subscribe to AMC Stubs and give you all my my discounts. <sighs> I mean, at least at least I know when I hear a screaming child in an aisle. Oh, my tinnitus is not that bad. But that. I think if there were a real churn of lots of movies coming out right now, then the, the theaters wouldn't feel obligated to keep something like Wish around as long as it has. They, they don't have a lot of other choices. Well, yeah, it's kind of weird. I think I was driving to get my car repaired. I had to thank you, um, Walmart in general, but there are some good ones. Uh, finally getting there, I drove past our Savoy 16, which has been hell every time I'm... No popcorn. Dude, you... It, I understand it. I've, I've, been, I've been in entertainment business. Just keep a big bag around. Warm it up a bit. Put some more butter salt on it. I'm happy. I don't know. Your opinion, movie, bu- movie theater popcorn versus microwave popcorn. I don't really have a preference per se. Okay. So, um, by driving by one side of the IMAX marquee they have right along uh, Route 45, uh, said um, Oppenheimer and uh, Across the Spider-Verse in IMAX. Mm -hmm. On the other side, it was Queen in Montreal. 
on IMAX. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not really up for the 1982 Queen concert. Now, I mean, if it was Queen and Adam Lambert on IMAX, maybe that's different because I have not taken the time to pay money to see Queen and Adam Lambert. And after what I've seen of Bohemian Rhapsody, it's kind of like, man, you guys are really pissing on John Deacon the basis for not joining you on your money grab. So. But all this points to the fact that theaters are really desperate for just, they're willing to take a chance on just about anything right now mm-hmm. that could at least bring in a specialty audience and that wouldn't necessarily have to be booked on like two or three screens yeah. at once. like. Like, com- comparatively speaking... I do like, appreciate a lot of Indian movies are coming, are filling in Yeah, that, that's, become, that's a growing market. They yeah. tend to have really good per-screen averages. Mm-hmm. But, well, like, what happened over December when The Boy and the Heron got to number one. Now, it hasn't grossed as much in this country as Wish has. It's, like, about 20, 25 million. Yeah, but that's probably how much it costs. Well, that and the fact that it had already more than made up for that money in the original Japanese release anyway. Yes. Whereas Wish has crawled past $200 million when you take the international market aside, but the movie cost at least $200 million to make, and given how big a marketing and especially merchandising push they made, that probably pushes the nut far bit further. Ah, you see, I, I, I... Disagree, because I recently reposted officially to the 90 for Chill, the podcast with Cat Plus Russ feed, not the 90 for Chill.com, the podcast feed. Uh, the Spaceballs episode. Yeah. Uh, we did. Right. And it's all about the merchandising, merchandising. So. Well, maybe uh, if Disney hadn't focused so much on that and making a better movie in the first place, we wouldn't be in this situation. What would Yogurt say? No, I think he'd approve of what Disney is doing. If Mel Brooks approves of what Disney is doing, I, I, I have faith. You uh, never took lot basic logic in community college, did you? <laughs> ah, no, this is how I ended up figuring out that professional wrestling was a better path for me than computer science. I flunked logic, which makes sense because I flunked calculus, and which makes total sense because I flunked data structures in the same semester. Well, touche. <laughs> but, um, but I think that does speak to where we are currently in this general malaise for major studio releases. We also see this with how the sup- the bottom fell out for superhero movies that... far faster than even our more, the more pessimistic commentators thought was I, going to happen. No, I think that's solely just oversaturation. Disney really tried to pick up after the after the pandemic um, the, the most of the pandemic I will not say the pandemic is over um, had passed, and they were just like, we gotta go and start filling, trying to draw people in. I think they stretched themselves too thin. Um, but that that is my opinion. Uh, we didn't necessarily need Love and Thunder. Well, we needed it because it was promised at the end of Endgame. Um, same thing with the Galaxy, which, I don't know, everybody seems to love that one. 
Ant-Man, okay, we didn't need, I don't think we needed the um, Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, Quantumania. I mean, I still gotta get around to seeing it, so I do plan to. Um, I mean, if, if MODOK is just a little bit of Patton Oswalt, I, can, I, I think it, it'll be worthwhile. Um, so, and, I don't know, as I say, I've been told Marvels is great. So, uh, yes, here's the problem with the Marvels, though, as I do feel I have to watch Miss Marvel. And that's just more time out of my, that I don't have. So, uh, yeah, so basically, I think they just overfilled everything real fast. And it's like, no, take your time. What, we were usually only getting like two Marvel movies a year before this? Well, it was a pretty heavy churn even before Endgame. I wouldn't say that. I mean, you had, uh, what, 20? So everything up to 2012 is pretty much maybe one, two pictures a year. Uh, 2013, was that Iron Man 3? Yes. All right, then 2014 was... I don't know, Thor the Dark World was probably 2013 too, but 20, you know, 2014, uh, Avengers, Infinity War, okay, so. But what it comes down to But I'm just saying, it was still tired, more like summer, People are winter. tired of superheroes that aren't Batman or Spider-Man. I disagree. It, I, those are the, those are the heroes, this is Those why, are the two characters people can want to keep seeing. But this is why we have, why The Boys is a big success on Amazon, because, ha, ah, the people like me and Seth Rogen want our, or why Sandman was a success on. So, okay. Am I a nerd? Yes. So, I guess I'm kind of disqualified. But, no, I, but that's like saying, no, don't, don't try anything else if it's not Batman or Spider-Man. Well, it's not like... If anything, we're in the age where it's too obvious to tell from the reams of preview material they keep bringing out for movies, especially franchise movies, but it could also apply to something like... Uh, something like Wish, is that it's clear from the previews the this is just the same thing you've seen before, only worse. And that's one reason they're saying that they're that these movies are like the Marvel movies are going to have a second life once they get to digital platforms or streaming doesn't make sense because we already smell the stink off of them. Okay, here this is it. I no, I think that is just. Did I want ten years off? Off from Marvel and at least Marvel movies. And I will say yes, because if I get if I get if I have to take ten years off of Star Wars, everybody else has to sit for ten years once your story's told. That is my nerddom. So, but you know, I gotta overlook that. I gotta look beyond that. And no, I can't really say I've seen anything that looks too stinky. Like, it's not YA bullshit. Now that's a PU. Actually, it is. Like, I'm sorry. I will get, as Cameron, a Star Wars nerd, I'm going to say P. Usa. As James Cameron was commenting when he was making 
when Avatar The Way of Water was gearing up to be released. He pointed out that if you really look at the kinds of things that most of blockbuster filmmaking of the last 10 years or so has been concerned with, it's about people whose concerns are those of college students at best. They don't, they don't want any, they don't want mature things. They are just YA stories. Yeah, YA, yeah, I... Part of the story he wants, you can debate how well or not he did it, I haven't seen the film. But with Avatar The Way of Water, he aged up the characters so they could have a family and deal with parent-child dynamics. That's something, the kind of thing that most movies that have been aimed in the blockbuster market over the past 10 years or so just don't deal with anymore. It's not that far removed from why Martin Scorsese had has trouble accepting something like the Marvel Universe is on the level, the creative and, and level of ambition is the films people like him make well, is because they're not concerned with human relationships or struggles. They're not relatable stories in a lot of ways. I, uh, well, it's more of my martial arts theme imbalance. I'm getting changed here. I gotta get through that one. Um, no, I, so I, I'm more of the what's Keanu directing that's all martial arty? Um, because of the I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is I'm not necessarily looking for relatable. Oh, the Sam Worthington has kids now. Dude, you don't need kids. I'm 40. Three well, four. I mean, it's it's that's just it. Like I I mean there's people like me, and I think that's why Ant-Man is so cool, who is just trying to really figure out how to make how to finally Succeed at what I what I'm chasing. Um, so uh, while Martin Scorsese, well, there you go. It's really this. Uh, I'm surprised, I guess, with this discovery because Martin Scorsese's rather a nihilist. I'm not exactly sure you, you can call someone a nihilist just offhand. You do. Ex there is something about being realistic about the inherent cruelties of human nature. Yeah, but but that doesn't mean that there there's telling there's telling that telling that story, but then there's like Goodfellas ends with Henry Hill and life destroyed, and he's never gonna get that back until the book the book makes all that money from the people who didn't watch the movie in theaters. It was all about the Oscar buzz that got that over the top. Um, I mean, Killers of the Flower Moon have not read a plot synopsis, but I'm pretty sure it's like, and everybody's unhappy in the end. So, and this is coming from somebody who is, who appreciates a lot of nihilism. I, I really dug it. Doug the Nihilist from Big Lebowski. <laughs> at least they weren't Nazis. Granted, Nazis at least stood for something. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, so it's like, I don't think it's an, you know, 
eh, gosh, I don't even, I don't even want to think too much deeper because now it's like, let's go to the opening scene of Swordfish. I, I just, I, I'm just saying, like, there, there's one thing of recovering from Yondu's death, like, when, when your story doesn't have the possibility of a positive conclusion, I mean, how many times do you expect a, you know, yes, when you're a talented director like Martin Scorsese, am I going to go see it? Yeah. I'm really disappointed that Raging Bull did not make the top ten of the uh, screen drafts list. Because too much toxic masculinity. There we, that's what I'm getting at. Scorsese is, cre is selling stuff that only he necessarily wants to see. So it's, and it's easy to tell stories that are very depressing when you got people giving you the money to tell them. Well, that's a very limiting view of art, I think. And certainly... Well, I'm I, just saying, I, I don't... He got over his coke issue. Thank you, New York, New York. <laughs> um, so, you can say it's limiting, but it's like, you know, I, I mean, if, if, that's, if that's where your head space is at, that everything's gonna end in depression, depressing fashion with a final shot that really like, it explains the movie to those who he thought wouldn't get it, which is kind of insulting to the audience, hence the rat at the end of The Departed, or um, Henry Hill picking up his newspaper and then seeing an image of Joe Pesci shooting at him. Well... I'm just... That is just... That is, that is, nihilism that's is just, the idea that, that, that things don't matter, then... The, a lot of franchise filmmaking could be seen as nihilist. If you think about it, one of the major problems that franchises like the Marvel Universe or DC films struggle with all the time is that it is very hard to affect lasting change on the world the, film take, the films take place in. The characters can battle over I don't know which stand-up comedian said it, but these movies are just, most of the time, about action figures fighting over a rock. Okay. Um, well, it, it goes they, back to a robot chicken sketch where Batman's doing the eulogy to the, uh, to the Green Arrow. And why are we even doing this? How many of you out there have died? Show of hands. Come on. Come on. <laughs> And eventually, after he's done going on his rant, and everybody starts cheering him for it, you see Green Arrow in the crowd. <laughs> so, but that's this, it's hard to relate to stories where the concerns of ordinary people have no meaning. I wouldn't necessarily say they're just they're just props at most. Well, but well, the stories don't end with these heroes legitimately reshaping with the, the power they have, the world the story takes place in to be a better one for everyone. Often, as that's a running gag in honest trailers. Status quo. Status quo. Okay, you say that, but then let's see. Oppenheimer. 
is a story of a guy who to save to save a million lives he is put us in a further peril. Help actions have consequences. Right. And it's from that that drama inherently comes. And that's how we got the excellent Marvel Captain America Civil War. That's how we got the fun nature of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I think that's one thing that I think... I mean, it's possible to be toxically positive, too. Yeah, no, no this, we're talking about Disney. For, <laughs> I mean, let's just face it. Ariel is should be nothing more but foam. Now, it doesn't mean that a person can't tell a story the way they see fit. Little Mermaid may not have much to do with Hans Christian Andersen, but it makes for an entertaining narrative on its own because the filmmakers at least committed to telling the kind of story they wanted to tell. Yeah, but I prefer my my topless, pullish mermaids singing at punk, at punk bars. Check out the lure. I'm sure it's probably in rotation on Criteria Channel. But even but even then, uh, the, this actually does step in into why I think one reason Wish didn't seem to connect with audiences. I kept hearing the complaint in a fair deal of reviews, not all of them, that it doesn't. Re it's not really much of a story to be concerned about. Some people won't get their wish granted. Boo hoo. That is you. That is your uncle speaking. I'm going to say that's the cynicism speaking. No, we have to have that. that uh, I, you want cynicism and nihilism. I'm one who said, you know, hell, hope is the one thing I don't want because hope is for the dying. I hope this doesn't happen the way it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so... It's interesting to read about Wish and how people who have seen Wish have taken the movie. And the most popular character is the villain because a lot of viewers feel sorry for him. <laughs> now I'm going to say... He created a utopia where all races and creeds can coexist in peace. Yeah, where, okay. people don't, where people aren't taxed to death. That's in a peaceful part of the world and is further protected because their ruler knows magic. Okay. Uh, this is like Larry David inspiring Thanos. Oh, the, I, you know, you have to give me that 15-minute window. I was here at 7. The parking lot was full. Give me the window. You know, I tell you, if there were half as many people as there are now, it'd be a better place. Uh, but, and... You know what, Than yeah, cockeye to Larry David. You know what, Larry, I think you're the villain. And I think archery isn't a real sport. So. But, but you have a story where the only problem is that people, it, it is a condition of living in the kingdom that you willingly, and with full knowledge, you will not remember what you wish for, give up the wish. 
And people are willing to trade that off for the chance it might get granted someday. Yeah, no, I'm, and those people are idiots. Well, that's the thing. Why are we supposed to care about their fate if they got themselves in their own problem in the first place? Because we're supposed to care about people. That's the... Well, oh, I gosh, would say now, you're that... making, now you're making me turn into Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> not, the, not the emo An Anakin. We're talking Jake Lloyd Anakin. But the... Mom, you, have, you always um, said the world would be... The, the biggest problem in the world is people don't help each other. And I will go and actually say, I think movies like, well, the James Gunn's Peacemaker series and um, Simon Pegg and, Nicola, uh, and Edgar Wright's um, The End of the World, The World's End, sorry, mm -hmm. uh, pretty much make clear that it's just not in our human nature to actually want to do what's best for everybody. Like... Yes, we got cell phones as part of a plan to create a utopia where we can be whoever we really want to be, but you're telling us you're telling us we have to be whoever we want to be. And we're human beings, we don't like being told what to do. And Bill, Bill Nye ends with an epic and the world goes to the Stone Age. Spoiler alert, but it does not qualify for the podcast, unless you want to talk about the entire Cornetta trilogy, because Shaun of the Dead does. So, see, but this is, this again is like, I think, think saying like, oh, I am, I sympathize with, I don't know if I've ever sympathized with, uh, which Chris is this? Chris Pine. Yeah, I don't think I've ever sympathized with Chris Pine. Sorry, Captain Kirk. Spock had all the right ideas. Okay, see? That's going to the logic and that bollocks. Yeah, so... No, I think... I think the I think we're still just dealing with cynicism backlash. Like, I think the problem is we came out of the pandemic... The vast... Well, what would you vast say effects. cynicism backlash? Because I think we came out of you the... You argue that these Marvel movies and stuff aren't cynical... But they're not the movies people are seeing right now. No, they're but but, like, but I think I think they're only not being seen because people are people are just like, no, give me something new. I just went through hell for two two years. I want. Well, things, I agree. I want things to change. It's like, dude, you were happy with this. It's like dealing with a cat. Why, like Ava. Ava did not, did not, it's Ava got reads. It's healthy to re-examine your priorities. I can't blame people for wanting something new, especially when the studios really seem to slack off on the whole quality control. Look, weed became legal in Illinois. Do I smoke weed? Yes. Do I get stoned? Do I, do I lay around getting stoned? No, because I know that I don't need that. And if there is... If there is a cynicism backlash, I'm not, I think there's plenty of reasons to be cynical. Look, you're talking to a guy who's introduced to most people at bars as, and this is Russ. He's the, he's the most cynical asshole you'll ever meet, but once you get to know him, he's the nicest guy ever. So, you know, I think I'm kind of a master on this, but... Maybe that's just it. I don't like these poser cynics. Get real bitter people. And then come to me. 
Not over freaking cinema. Do you have anything else? No, no, I think we're, I think that's more content than I ever expected out of Wish merchandise and, hey, uh, what's Jeff Goldblum doing? So, thank you very much, Poetic Critic. I'll probably try to... I do get around the beekeeper, because you want cynicism. That's a pretty cynical movie, just the premise. Especially for leftists like myself. Despite, I don't know, something like they tried to throw in some Hunter Biden jabs in this movie. I think David Iyer said, no, we're not doing it. You know, Billy, you know, rich people and their stupid kids. But, you know, we're not picking on Donald Trump. So. Okay. And. Yep, I think that's gonna be enough because I think the audio is gonna suck. Superman! The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron that in all future generations, his descendants who have physical defects will not qualify to offer food to their god. No one who has a defect may come near me, whether he is blind or lame, stunted or deformed, because he had a blemish. I, the Lord, do not sanctify him. Leviticus 21.16 There's something wrong with this place! Some stones is best left unturned. Well, Chris Jericho was mentioned in my conversation with the Poetic Critic, so let's get rid of another one of his few sub-100-minute movies. Uh, He really hasn't done that many movies, and I do want to check out this one that I think I can find on YouTube, but that's because it's Sonny Chiba versus Roddy Piper, so can you blame me? But the feature I'm going to discuss is Albino Farm, a horror movie I uh, very low budget, and it's Chris Jericho plays a character that makes you think, yep, he could definitely do the things he may or may not have been accused of. So it's a story about a bunch of college kids who are focusing on one project, and then they get distracted by the stories of a town in Missouri of deformed people and the bros in the group talk everybody else into doing it and as soon as they arrive there just things start falling apart and they have to keep relying on different people to try directing them in the right place again all kind of deforms and Chris Jericho is probably the one who isn't but he's got two deaf cousins who just want to see boobs and you know he'll trade that for uh, information it's just a creepy creepy movie I will say there's some decent kill effects but well I probably should just say a decent kill effect otherwise it's fine makeup for our deformed uh, characters I mean passable for uh, no budget 
I mean, Chris Jericho's appearance, I hope he did it as a friend, because I would imagine that would be where all the budget went. Uh, script is no real great dialogue, no humor. It's honestly, I'm just trying to rehash it because I got this on a Netflix DVD. Somehow I lost the file when I originally recorded the review, if I recorded the review back when I was planning to do the MacGruber episode. Um, so, yeah, everything kind of becomes nonsensical with the story. It's just a wraparound for a hopeless ending, and that's even just brushing over that it's all based around a society that's really misread the bible and everybody's part of a cult pretty run-of-the-mill stuff at least it doesn't do anything silly like trying cg to effects to make it look fancier i admire kind of the effort in it uh just where did you think this would be interesting i guess is where i'm coming from like you either have to make it very gory or clever which it definitely failed at that uh, or you really just have to have a sense of humor and make something that we're going to laugh along with. So it misses the mark despite... I mean, it's a valiant swing, I guess. Not having the movie immediately in my mind might have softened beyond it. Because I appreciate the effort, and as I say, there's at least some moments where you think, well, they might have something, but it's all might, and there's really nothing there except one boob shot definitely one not worth trying to dig up and thankfully this is way before i was hoping netflix would send me 10 free dvds once that service ceased can i hear a wahoo 